Welcome to the REI Foundation Podcast, where we cover all the steps and strategies to make your real estate dreams a reality. Now your hosts, Jason and Peely. Hey everyone, looking for lending for your next project? Well, we want to introduce you to Fund That Flip. So what is Fund That Flip? Well, Fund That Flip is fast, affordable funding for your next real estate transaction. And trust me, we know. We've used them and are using them currently for deals that we're working on flipping homes. So if you want white glove service, check out Fund That Flip for great terms, reliable service, just everything you're looking for from a funding partner. Peely, where can we find them? You can find them at fundthatflip.com backslash REI Foundation. Again, that's fundthatflip.com backslash REI Foundation. What are you waiting for? Hi, everyone, and welcome again to the Real Estate Investing Foundation podcast with Jason and Peely. Today, we invite Todd Dexheimer to our show. Welcome, Todd. Hey, Todd. Hey, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Of course. Thank you. So a little about Todd. Todd Dexheimer is the founder and chief manager of Venture D Properties, LLC, and its affiliated companies uh, started investing in real estate in 2008, mainly in single family homes and small multifamily. Todd and his companies have completed nearly 150 flips and currently own and manage 62 houses and duplex units and control over 350 multifamily units. Currently, Todd is focused on mid-sized multifamily acquisitions and syndications, podcasting, which he has an awesome podcast we can talk about, and coaching. So welcome to the show, Todd. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks uh, again for having me on and let's have some fun. Awesome. And so going back to 2008, how did you first get started and why? So how did I get started uh, and why? Well, the why was because I didn't, I knew I wasn't going to be doing what I was doing the rest of my life. So I needed to figure out what I was going to do when I grew up. And I was a, I was a high school teacher, high school and middle school teacher. I was teaching shop class. I was teaching kids how to, how to build stuff and um, you know, weld and all that kind of good stuff. And it just didn't, it just wasn't clicking for me. It wasn't the thing for me. I think, I think like the first year or second year, I, I like said to my wife, Hey, I got to figure out what I'm doing when I grow up. <laughs> and, uh, and so I started reading books and, and I really liked the real estate thing. I did construction in the summer. So that kind of made a lot of sense. And, um, I'm very analytical. So as I'm reading and looking at these numbers, it's like, man, this, this makes so much sense. Um, and so that's kind of why I got started. I needed to figure out something else. And I saw the power of real estate. Um, and I saw, even if I didn't necessarily do real estate for a living, because at first I, that was like, I'm not going to do it for a living, but it was just a great thing to do to make some, make some income and set myself and my family up. So, um, so that was, you know, 2007, as I started reading in 2008, I started jumping in. Um, and it just made sense because at, in 2008, the market had already crashed. And so I'm looking at properties, you know, single family house, I can buy for $60,000 and I can rent for, you know, 13, $1,400. And just, that made sense. And were you still uh, teaching at that time or did you just jump full in? No, I, so I still taught um, in 2008 and so the 2008-9 school year, I taught full-time uh, and was real estate investing as well. 
And then 2009-10 school year, I taught part-time uh, by choice. They offered me, so I was teaching part-time part at the high school, part-time at the middle school. They said, hey, we're going to bring you full-time at the middle school. And I said, nah, I'm going to go part-time at the high school. And you guys can just hire a full-time person, uh, which they were like. What are you what? You're crazy. Like, yeah. You know, but uh, I, I made, I, I probably made some excuse why and I didn't want to tell them I was wanting to quit, but <laughs> no. you were actually making money for it. Uh, yeah. 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 Exactly. To you for being a teacher. Wow. That's a, that's a huge job. And I give anybody yeah. credit for doing that. Yep. Yeah. It, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, I enjoyed the teaching part. Right. But I didn't enjoy a lot of the other stuff that, the political BS and, yeah. and just some of the, uh, you, when I got into it, I thought, well, it's going to be this, this great job and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be giving back and, but you don't get that appreciation that you think you're going to get. Like instead of having kids go, Hey, awesome job. They go, Hey, you know, F you. <laughs> <laughs> so it just wasn't quite there for me. And it, I give a lot of props to teachers, by the way. I think they're amazing, uh, especially yeah. the ones that stay in there for their whole careers. Yep, absolutely. Well, talking about teachers, how did, getting back into real estate, how did you learn um, and who gave you the steps to get started? Who, who did you look towards for mentorship? Books, all about books. Um, I didn't have anybody that I really knew that did real estate. My, my, uh, my first business partner uh, had done a little bit of real estate. Um, so kind of learn from him, I guess. But a lot of what I learned was, was books and was my construction background too. I had a really strong construction background. And so that helped a lot. Uh, I did remodeling construction and I had an emphasis in architecture and construction in college. So that helped as well. But um, yeah, it was about reading, uh, reading lots of books. And, and if you meet someone in an elevator today and fast forward and someone says, what do you do? What's your pitch or how do you, how do you explain what you do in this short 30 seconds. I tell them I'm unemployed and, uh, no, unemployable too, it. right? Yeah. Yeah. Loving yeah. It. I'm loving it. Yeah, yeah. 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 My wife and I just sold one of our, our houses that we were living in and we were living in one of my rentals for a while. And I would tell people all the time I'm unemployed and homeless. <laughs> so, but yeah, I, t I tell people I'm a, I'm a real estate investor. Uh, I buy apartment buildings. Most people, a lot of people just say, Oh, and they don't get it. Um, but some people then, you know, dig farther and ask questions. And so it's always fun when people dig further because they kind of know what that means. But most people, I don't think, understand like what that really means. Yeah, exactly. And so we love to ask about the first deal. But since you started with flipping and now you're buying apartment buildings, let's, let's do, can you remember your first apartment deal and, and why buying an apartment building after doing all this flipping was in an aha moment? Uh, so this might not be the story you want. Uh, my very first apartment building was a 15 unit apartment building. It was a value add. I bought it, uh, for pretty cheap. I can't remember the exact price, 300,000 or something like that. Um, did a bunch of value add and I hated it. I uh, hated the building. Uh, didn't, you know, the tenants were not that great, uh, and ended up selling it, uh, made some money. It was, uh, had an investor, a couple investors in it, made them, made them money um, and actually decent returns, but not what I expected. Uh, so I didn't do an apartment building for quite some time. 
uh, after that until 2016 was the next time. That was my quote unquote first apartment building. What I want to call my first apartment building was the, the next time. And that was a 22 unit building that I uh, purchased out of state um, on, a, on a contract for deed. So. so tell us a little bit about the one that you don't want to talk about because that <laughs> is usually the one you learn Yeah, the what's most the learning from. lessons? That yeah, I, I, did, I did. I learned a lot from it. You know, it was, it was 15 units. It was built in 1880. Two or something like that. So you started with the easy one. <laughs> started with the easy one. Yep. You know, but here's the thing: I was doing a lot of flips. I was buying a lot of rentals. So when I first started doing this, I was my goal was just to buy rentals. So I was buying a bunch of rentals. I was still buying flips and flipping, and I would take the money and I'd buy rentals with that. And so then we bought this apartment building, and but I'd been doing all these flips, so it was going to be easy, right? Because I knew how to do that type of stuff. But an 1882 built building with all galvanized piping and cast iron uh, drains and old steam boiler yeah. uh, with old steam boiler you know, radiators and uh, knob and tube wiring and it just was a pain. You know, it didn't have the right type of insulation. We had, uh, you know, we, we had pipes burst in the winter. We had we had all kinds of stuff. I was on my wife's wedding birthday. just thinking about it. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. On my wife's birthday, like I'm ready to cook her dinner and I'm getting all prepped and all of a sudden I'm on the phone because I've got uh, water rushing into somebody's unit. Uh, and, no. There's no main shut off valve and it's like a Friday evening at, you know, seven o'clock. So I can't get a hold of anybody. So I got to run into St. Paul and, you know, take care of it. And my wife's got to finish cooking dinner for her birthday. And Oh. <laughs> Got it. Oh, no. Oh. Yeah. No, it was a joy. It was a blast. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And, and that was that's just like one little. This stuff happened all the time. I was supposed to be going to a Minnesota Wild hockey game, and again, the water was like rushing down from one person's apartment into the next person's. This is like January, like fifteen below zero, and this guy's door is completely ice shut because a waterfall's been going down, so he can't even get out his door. He's got to go out the window. Um, it was crazy. Just like crazy stuff would happen all the time. So what did I learn? I learned that if you're going to buy an old building and this doesn't matter if it's an 1880 building or 1950 building or 1960, whatever it is, and it's got galvanized plumbing and cast iron piping budget to replace it all like a hundred percent top to top to bottom budget to replace it because it's going to have to be replaced. I was just talking to my plumber the other day. And uh, he's training in one, you know, a new, a new person. He's talking about piping and, and stuff like that. And he's, you know, he was saying that galvanized piping, if it's, you know, from 1950, it needs to be replaced. It just is. That's the life expectancy of galvanized piping is between 50 and 70 years. And we're there. So that's just stuff that you need to have in your numbers. You need to make sure you plan for that. And it sounds like you didn't have a property manager at the time. And you were the one that was running out. It's all yeah. you. Saw you. So again, I could do it all, right? Of course yep, you can. Good. So can we. <laughs> yep. Doing it all ourselves. Now, this is why we build teams. This is why we hire people. This is why we put <laughs> numbers in so we can pay other people to do these things. And, and if we fast forward now, looking at your business, how have these past experiences shaped how your business operates today? Uh, I'm, for one, I'm, I'm more diligent and I still make mistakes. So I'm not going to say yeah. I, I don't. Yeah, we all do. Yes. Yeah. I'm more diligent about understanding that there's realistic repairs, you know, that you're going to have to make. And so we have to understand that things do break. Uh, the other thing is I 
build teams around me and not just, I, I can do it all. I know, I, I know what I can do. I can do a lot of different things, but I know what I'm very good at and I know what I care about and want to do. And then I know what I just either don't want to do or I'm not as good at. And that's what I build my team around. So that's really important for anybody who's like me where you can, you can do everything or, or most everything. That's fine, but you're not going to be great at, at everything. You're just not going to be. So figure out what you love and be really, really damn good at that and then give the other stuff away. I think that's really important. That's a golden nugget right there. Stuff that both Jason and I need to follow on a regular basis. So mm-hmm. we're definitely, we're definitely, uh, we definitely do that. Try and take on too much. Yeah. Um, but for, every, for everybody that's listening, listen, like rewind that, listen to it over and over again. You are awesome. We know you can do everything, but you shouldn't be. Yeah, that's the only way you grow. That's the only way you grow your business. We were talking about that community that we um that we had under contract with that in Louisville, and the funny story there is, the owner does all of the turns himself because he doesn't want to pay out because it's so expensive. But he would have one that was literally stretched the carpet and paint the uh, apartment, and it takes four months for him to do it. He's like, yeah, these usually take about four months. And I'm like, man, you could, all that rent you're losing for four months, you know, you, you could hire three times the people just to get it done with all that. But every time he was just getting crushed because he's trying to ease, oh yeah, I, I call my, uh, my cousin, he comes in, drives about an hour and helps me paint these and it takes about four months. I go, man. <laughs> it's crazy. And, and you, you don't, a lot of times you don't even think of it that way because like that 15 unit building, I'm going, I can manage this myself. Otherwise I got to pay a third party manager and I got to pay them like seven to 8%. And, and then they're going to take money when they do the lease outs, but I could never keep it occupied. And I just, you know, it, it had, I hired somebody, I would have made way more money doing it. And I just wasn't seeing it because I would go, oh, my, my pro forma number, this at, you know, mm-hmm. uh, with one vacancy, uh, which I should be able to get to, right? I should be able to get 14 out of the 15 units rented. So, well, one vacancy, this is what it's making. Well, that's golden. You know, why hire a management company? Well, but I've got three to four vacancies at all times. So, had I hired a management company, it would have saved money, you know, yes. or, hire, or even yeah. hired just somebody, you know, to yes. do yeah. some stuff. These and, are the lessons, yeah, right? And yeah. your wife wouldn't have had to cook dinner for her. Uh, for her. Right, right. She oh. was happy about that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like POA. So, oh, oh, yeah, I'll cook, I'll cook. I'm okay. Good. Yeah, I know. I just, uh, I got one thing I'm good at. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah stay in my role. Um, so, moving forward, moving forward. So, how has your business evolved over the last couple of years? I know you were fixing and flipping and then you started getting into a multifamily. So, tell us about your business now. Yeah. So, I'm no longer doing uh, fix and flips. Um, not that I wouldn't, I, I would if the right deal, but I'm just not focusing my energy on finding good deals. And, um, and, and so now I'm doing multifamily syndication. That's the main focus of my business is trying to find uh, mid-sized multifamily. And by that, I mean anywhere between, you know, 75 to 200 units. Um, and, and then doing the syndication. So investor relationships, all that kind of stuff. So, uh, I've always dealt with investors from you know, on on my properties or really from day one. Um, so that hasn't changed. I'm just doing it differently now through the syndication route. I haven't always done syndication. I've done a lot of private just 
partnerships and notes and stuff like that. Um, and then the multifamily, you know, I was, I was doing smaller stuff and now, uh, I just see the power in the, the larger stuff, the efficiency and you know, what you guys talk about. So let's talk a little bit about the investors. So a lot of people are trying to get into this and they, they don't have the money and they, they're worried that they don't have a track record. So you, you were doing this from the start. How, how did you broach that topic when they said, well, what have you done or what track record have do you have or any of those topics that may have may, may be hurdles that really aren't hurdles? Yeah. So I didn't have a lot of those questions because especially for my first uh, one, because every investor I used, I, I knew and they had done business with me. Um, they had invested in my flips or invested in uh, smaller rentals or, uh, just had, had done business with me. So that was pretty easy. Um, but I, I get some of those questions, but you know, I've, I've had, I've done, you know, smaller multifamilies. I've had, you know, all my single families, which isn't like completely the same, obviously, but I, I manage and own, um, you know, 60 some one to four family properties. And then I've got, uh, you know, handful of uh, 10 to 20 unit properties that um, before I started doing the syndications. So I think that was fairly easy to explain. Well, this is, this is, you know, my experience and this is why it works. And um, so, but to, to kind of say what you're asking, you know, for somebody who doesn't have that experience, um, I, th I think you've got to gain experience either through the syndication or through doing it yourself with smaller partnerships or whatever. I think you've got, to me, you should have experience in one or the other for sure uh, before you just start going in. I, I hear a lot of people that just want to get started in multifamily. They know nothing about multifamily. Maybe they bought a house um, and they don't have any money. Uh, they've never done a, a syndication and they just want to jump in. And I think that's where you're going to potentially get yourself and other people burned you should, you know, learn and team with people and, and really kind of get some experience before you just jump right in both feet. And you pair that with the topic you were talking about earlier, budget for all the items that will and can be replaced. Because yeah. what I'm seeing right now is when people are bringing me the, the deal, that it's a, the magical deal, I look at it and I say, well, everything has to go perfect. And you have to have the perfect debt. And if anything goes wrong, the deal doesn't work and that's not, work. that's not what you don't want to have on your side, especially right now. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Well, you're not, and, and maybe we are, and, but I don't think we're in that market to be able to have a ton of mistakes. Yeah. Um, that was back in 2010. You know, if you bought something and you made lots of mistakes, you still did just fine. Uh, but I don't think we're in that market anymore. And so looking at your past or even just recent deals, what's been your favorite deal? to date and why? Oh boy. Favorite deal. Um, that's hard to say. I I've got, I've got a few on the flipping. Uh, my favorite one was a mobile home park that, uh, that I bought actually with my own brother. He, he lives in South Carolina. He brought it to me, bought this uh, mobile home park for, I think it was like 55,000 or something like that. And, uh, turned around and sold it very quickly without touching, I mean, doing anything to it. I took a trip to South Carolina to see it 
the day before closing. And I think we sold it, sold it for just shy of 150, I believe. Wow. Didn't do anything to it. So that was, that was one of my favorite deals because there was a lot of profit there. It was just always fun. And it was, it was wild because we were actually planning on uh, developing it and there was a bunch of trailers on it. So uh, my sister-in-law puts ads on Craigslist to get rid of the trailers. And all of a sudden people start calling us to buy the place. And so I'm getting these calls for people to buy the place. And then when I'm in town, the receiver, because uh, it was a, it was a receivership, the receiver says, uh, or I asked the receiver, I said, did you get anybody else bid on this? Well, I got a letter, but it was after you guys already got the contract. The guy wanted to buy it. Do you have his number? Yep. Yep. So he gave me that number. Then I'm like, geez, a lot of people want to buy this thing. Maybe I should just sell it. Yeah. So I threw an ad on Craigslist and I got just tons of calls and I ended up selling it through a guy off of Craigslist. Wow. That's awesome. That was there awesome. you go. That, you yeah. know what? That's my favorite deal of all time now. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> Forget our deals. Yeah, it was, it was fun. Um, so that was kind of my, my favorite, uh, but my favorite uh, apartment right now is, um, and it's still in the works, but a 22 unit that I did um, with uh, 10% down seller financing. Uh, so it was a really good deal. Got good terms and everything with it and uh, have turned it and mostly stabilized it. We still got some work to do on stabilization, but it's, I think it'll end up being a really good deal. And you had mentioned 75 to 200 units, but it seems like a lot of these are, are mixed bag, you know, 20, 40, 60. Is there yeah. any reason you're not sticking right there? It seems that there, there may be a more approachable. Um, why I'm not sticking at the 20, 40, 60. Yep. Um, you know, I, w- I would still look at those. It's just, uh, as far as management purposes go, I, l- out of st- cause I'm buying everything out of state. Um, and so as far as management purposes go, I like having that on-site staff and you can't really have on-site when you only have 20 or 30, 40 units, you know, unless it's a high end a class property that's making enough in rents, but you have to have enough rents to support a, um, on site staff. And that's what I really like. And if, if you're in a market right now where it's really difficult to buy, which you are and, and we are, and we're both buying out of state, what, how do you identify markets and, and what really stands out to you? You say, okay, I'm going to dig down. Oh boy, that's a whole big topic. You that's want me to it. go into that's, it? That's, that's, give, give, me, give me your top five criteria. And sure. You don't down too much, but just on a high level where people are going to say, what's the first things to find out there to, to know if the market's even worth digging into further? Okay, so here's what I do first, all right? And there's, there may not be a best order to this, but here's what I do first. Where can I find properties that have opportunity? So what cities have potential opportunity? So identify that. I can go on Craig's, or sorry, LoopNet. I can go onto some, you know, Marcus and Millichap, CBRE, some websites where I see, okay, there's actually some properties that are being traded. And it doesn't have to be stuff that's active. I can also look on the county for past sales. And just how many sales are happening in that market in a general time period? Okay, I like that market. Perfect. There could be some opportunity there. Then I go in and start doing the research on that particular market. Is there job growth? And what type of job growth? You know, if it's McDonald's or is it, uh, you know, is, is it medical and tech and stuff like that? So, so what level of job growth? Um, is there population growth and where is that population growth? 
Um, and that's really important is the where. Because a lot of people go, oh, this town is increasing by, you know, 3%. But where? Because you want to invest in where. Um, and then I look at affordability. And that one's huge for me right now in this market is can the tenants afford to live in my property? Or are they being stretched to the max and the second the economy turns, they're gonna run for the fences. So that's extremely important to me. That's, that's probably number one right now as far as looking at a market. Um, and then what's the government doing? Is the government doing anything to uh, help improve the city or are they just good with the status quo of, of what's going on in their city? The, and you touched on one, I want to go back to job growth. And you said, what type of job growth? Well, let's, you, you talked about growth with McDonald's, growth versus tech. So which is, which is one that leads you to want to be there and which, which it doesn't? I want to see growth with, uh, with industries that have decent paying jobs, you know, industries that have jobs. I want to see a, a mixture. You know, if, if I just have a high level executives coming into town, that's going to only bring in two types of jobs. That's going to bring in the high level jobs and that's going to bring in, that's going to bring in some of the mid, but it's going to bring mostly high and mostly low because it's people that are servicing the high end people, people, you know, you got cleaners and you got, you know, whatever, but you got uh, some restaurants and stuff like that. But you want to look at, you know, do we have tech jobs coming in? Do we have medical jobs coming in where we've got nurses and doctors and we've got different tiers. We've got the custodians and then you've got people that are going to be servicing them then because you've got restaurants that will need to come in and hotels and stuff like that to, to service uh, the, those new jobs. So you, you want high, mid and low end jobs coming in. If you've got the high and the mid, the low end jobs are coming in for sure. If you just got the low end jobs, if you just got, you know, people go, oh, Amazon is bringing in this packaging center. Well, that's okay. But that's not high-end jobs, so we also want some good high-end jobs too. Absolutely. And then speak a little bit more about you were talking about affordability. That's uh, I, I've heard that a couple of times, but not at to like extent because that really gives you padding if you're really looking into the future and caring about like whether or not your tenant can afford this building. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, rents are going up, right? Everywhere across the country, rents are going up. Um, and if they're not going up, something's wrong with your city. But we are pushing our tenants to a level that, you know, is unaffordable in a lot of cities, right? So Minneapolis, for instance, uh, I think we're right around that 40% um, of our rent to income, which is getting, I would say, fairly high. Yep. I like to look for cities that's 30% or, or under, preferably under because I think then I've got room for growth. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you got a city like, you know, like San Francisco, for instance, they're paying whatever 60% or whatever it is. Crazy. It, can they continue to go up? No. Now are they going to go down to 30%? Probably never, right? San Francisco is never going to be at 30%. So you've got to take that into consideration too. Like where's that market usually at? Um, so if you're investing in Cleveland, Ohio, Right. In Cleveland, Ohio, let's say in a normal market's at 20% um, rent to income and now they're at 33%. Well, Cleveland's not affordable right now. So you've got, you can't just look at just the number of today. You have to look back at history and that's almost for everything. You've got to look at the history of what's happened in that city when we're looking at cap rates, when we're looking at, you know, all kinds of, when we're looking at rents, you know, where have they been and where, where are they now? So. 
That's a great point. Actually looking at where it is today, but you got to track back to how it succeeded in the past. So, and if you take that and and put that to your business today, what challenges are you currently facing using this model to scale your business and and how are you adapting from that? Um, The biggest challenge would just be right now is, is finding, finding properties finding properties to buy because it's, it's a very challenging market as you guys know. Um, I'm a very conservative uh, underwriter and everything's got to hit my, my numbers. So I feel like I can make my investors money because the last thing I want to do is lose my investors money. Um, so that's challenging. It's challenging to buy right now in this market. So I would say that's my biggest challenge for growth is just finding the properties um, besides that, it's, it's, uh, it's still team. You know, I, I still do think I can do more than what I, I should be doing. So, you know, I, it's still, still trying to delegate and make sure I've got the right people in place. And in talking about team, what, what is, what is some points if someone's going out their team, what, like what's some good questions to vet a property management company? Um, I mean, there's, there's lots of great questions, uh, but you want to make sure that they're actually going to service your property and, uh, and not just take your money. And so you want to ask questions that get to that, you know, what are they doing? One thing I like to do a lot, uh, and this isn't asking questions, but I like to, to secret shop their properties. Um, so, so when you, you know, you're in Cleveland again, and they're managing, the properties around it. Uh, I like to go in the secret shop and pretend like I'm a tenant and see what's going on, see how the people are treating me when I go in there, um, see the type of condition the properties are in. And if you go to five properties and, and four out of the five are in trashy condition, um, it's not just the owner's fault, it's the manager's fault. If you go to five properties and only one of them is in trashy condition, the rest of them are in great condition, well, that could just be an outliner, a bad owner that doesn't give enough control or something like that. But uh, so that's one of the biggest things I like to do is, is uh, just secret shop. That's an absolutely gem of a, of a detail right there. I love it. I yeah. love it. Yeah, uh, and I, I, would, I would stress the point of secret shopping. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah, they'll roll out the red carpet if you just say, hey, I'm going to go see your other properties. They're going to sure. show you. Yeah, what time will you be there? You'll see exactly. there, walking you around, showing you all the nice things. Someone's painting something. Yeah, look at this tree <laughs> yes. we have going on. Now there's 65 maintenance people on site today just <laughs> Yeah, we know. Yeah, yeah. So. Well, building out your team further, and we were talking this previous to the our uh, to the taping. How do you look for contractors? And I'm asking this because you have contractor background. You are a builder. So when you're looking for contractors, what do you look for, and what are some red flags? Um, uh, yeah, it that's that's tough. Contractors, as I said before, we started recording are, are one of the most difficult. Uh, I think team members to, to deal with because they've got all kinds of different attitudes and you know, that's a whole different uh, topic. Yeah. A whole different animal, but uh, yeah, it's important to, again, to ask some questions about, you know, you know, how, how are they charging for, first of all, get, get the pricing before they do the work. Um, how are they billing? Um, it's a, important to get references. Uh, I like to also see their jobs. Now it's hard to secret shop, a contractor's job, but I, I like to see their, uh, you know, see pictures, get references. I'd like to get into a job that's currently going if I can. 
Uh, it's not always possible, but, um, and then, you know, I guess if, if you don't know much about construction, it's a little harder, but if you know a lot about construction, you can just basically talk to them about the construction process. You know, how long, how long does it take to, you know, install some kitchen cabinets in a whatever, 10, 10 by 10 kitchen and, you know, tough, tough like that, stuff like that. So they, you can see, do they actually know what they're talking about? You know? Yep, absolutely. So for anybody that's like sort of a newbie investor and uh, say like in your, like a fix it flipper, um, what would be some questions that they should ask if they don't have any construction background? <sighs> Boy, it's hard for me to think like that because I'm not. Um, <laughs> you know? uh, First of all, if you're in that position, here's what I would suggest doing before you just go out there and just start asking questions. I would suggest trying to learn through others. Like I would suggest approaching somebody who's flipping and just saying, hey, can I tag along? Can I help you? I'd like to learn about this. I can add some value by doing, you know, X, Y, Z. Maybe you're good at, you know, certain things. Say, look, I, I'll, I'll help you out free of charge for this just let me tag along and, and learn, you know, how to deal with contractors and stuff like that. Um, I think asking these contractors lots of questions is, is really important because w that does a couple things that makes them a, a think and, and know that you know what you're talking about. And then that, that makes them also, that makes you understand, do they know what they're talking about? Cause I've, I've hired contractors without asking them enough questions and I've gotten caught to where it's like, they're maybe good at painting, but they're not good at, you know, certain other things because, and I didn't ask them the right questions. Had I just asked them a few more questions, I would have, it would have like thrown it off. You know, yeah. what, how do you do, oh, how, tell me about the process of how you tile, you know, what's from start to finish. What do you do? Oh, well, we put some plywood down, then we put the tile over. Oh, wait a second. You know, so if you ask them a few questions and they, and they can't answer them right, then you know, they're not the, the right person for you. Yeah. Here's the one, number one thing I would ask any contractor. If they're kind of that, you know, let's, let's say they're good at tiling. You're good at tiling or you're good at cabinets or you're good at trim or whatever. If a contractor tells you they're good at everything, they're not good at anything. If yep. the contractor now tells you they're good at all this other stuff and they say they're also good at drywalling, they're not good. Yep. <laughs> well, if a contractor tells you they're good at drywalling, unless they're a drywaller, they're not good. <laughs> I had a funny story because this guy was adamant about giving us a turnkey quote. So we're like, we're like, fine. And so he gives us this, but like, if, if we didn't know what was up, we would have missed all these parts in there. Cause I'm just, I'm like, man, there's no sheetrock in here. He's like, oh yeah, I don't like doing that. I'm like, well, you gave me a turnkey quote. So I, I like, if I was just some random guy not paying attention and we got to that point, you would just say, oh, I have to add that, you know, 12, 13,000 hours for yeah. sheetrock in the house and our 3000 for insulation and everything else. Yeah. So where's the turnkey? <laughs> so, so you gotta, gotta, if, if anything, read those quotes, read the books, go out there, learn from others, yep. find checklists about items that at least, at least you have on a high level, that's going to be on, on all the parts for building out a house. And that, yeah, that's some really awesome points. Get so, itemized quotes too. Like, yeah. is this, is this include materials? Like, is this ever all the materials or are you saying this just includes the cabinets, but not the shims and the screws and the miscellaneous stuff? Like what's your overhead? Are you charging me an overhead on top of it? Or is this an all inclusive price? Um, you know, getting that type of information too, like making sure they're including everything. 
right? Because if they're not, and they're just including, you know, maybe labor or, you know, you can get burned really quickly. Yeah, definitely. hundred percent. So, go ahead. Well, I was just going to ask, where do you see yourself in about five years? What does the future look like? Yeah. So, it's hard to say because I don't know, you know, what's going to happen with the market and and stuff. I wish I did, but (laughs) I'm going to keep on doing exactly what I'm doing. I love, I love the multifamily um, commercial game. I I love doing the syndication and partnership. Um, So it's going to be continuing to do that. Uh, I've been looking a little bit into commercial. I like uh, some sectors and some other commercial, like the light industrial self-storage, um, so potentially be there, but I'm going to continue to, to acquire properties. And, and so in five years, you know, my, my goal would be to uh, at least triple the assets that I have from, from today. It's a great That's goal. Awesome. That's awesome. You have a, you have a morning routine or any, any process for your day? I'm getting a better morning routine. Uh, my morning routine used to be, I would wake up and I'd lay in my bed and I'd, I, I'm, I, I would pray and then I'd fall back to sleep and then I'd wake back up and I'd pray and I'd fall back asleep. So now I get up in the morning and get out of bed right away. <laughs> but no, so now I'm trying to get a better morning routine because I think it's important. I think it's just very important to get your day started right. So I, I, I wake up, I take my dog for a walk in the woods. Uh, we live right, right out my door here is uh, 120 acres of woods Wow. So for a walk with her and, and, uh, and that's when I pray uh, and, and reflect and kind of think about the day is when I'm going for a walk with her and then uh, come back and I, I usually uh, read for about you know, 20 to 30 minutes um, and reflect and uh, kind of look at my schedule, what I'm going to be doing and plan and prep for that. And then uh, from there, I get my kids ready to go to school and then start the day from there. Nice. That's a good morning routine. Do you have some yeah. words you live by? Uh, I don't, I don't live by words. I live by actions. So those are some good words. Take action. (laughs) There you go. Those are words. That's like one of those like, Oh, good answer. (laughs) Well, what's your big why? You know, probably the biggest thing is, is, uh, I want to make a difference. I want to make a positive difference in this world. I want to, I want to give back um, and and be able to create a positive influence. I want to be able to change our our way of thinking, just for the general public. When we go to school and nobody learns about you know financial education, I, I, my main goal is to get more financial education in the in the school system, the the actual school system. So it's available to everyone because we expect parents to teach uh, about money and parents don't know about money. And so the kids are going to know nothing about it. So we are, we're in this, we're in a cycle and it's, you know, you got these kids that are in uh, low and even middle-class houses and they get taught nothing about money and so then they teach their kids nothing about money and it just continues and the only people that are learning about money are the wealthy and uh you know it's just a cycle so i would i'd love to try to break that cycle that's one of the things and you know just make a positive impact and, and make a difference um that's great. great why and if you're a new real estate investor looking at 
all you've done with some actual steps that they could use today to, to just get started into their first property? Well, uh, so just to get started in your first property, I mean, for, first of all, you have to learn, you know, educate yourself, uh, le- listen to podcasts like this, and there's audible books, and there's actual books. Uh, there's lots of coaches and courses and all kinds of stuff. So, so learn. But you need to focus your learning too. And I think that's really important. I see, uh, I used to go to a lot of our, our uh, Minnesota real estate uh, investing group, um, which is our biggest kind of group. Uh, they have gurus come all the time. And the same people would rush to the back of the room to buy the course. And they would buy a new course this month. And then the next month, they buy another new course. And the next month, they buy another new course. And by the end of the year, they spent $20,000 on, you know, 12 different courses or 10 different courses or whatever it is. And they've learned a lot of stuff, but they haven't taken any action because they learned how to be a wholesaler and a flipper and an apartment buyer and, you know, a note buyer and all this kind of stuff. So you got to focus your learning into one or two avenues and decide what you're actually doing. It, focus finally then finally focus on that one thing um, which is a great book by the way Um, so I think that's probably number one learning and focusing your learning so you're learning on what you actually plan on doing and then then the next thing is taking action like you're you're not going to do anything unless you actually take action and it doesn't mean that you need to do it all we've talked about building teams and partnerships and stuff like that so so do that if that's what it takes to get started, build a team, become part of a team, work for somebody. I don't care what you do, um, but you've got to get started and take action. You're not going to get anywhere. That's absolutely incredible. And this podcast has been full of gems for people to go out there and utilize when they're building out their business. So Todd, thank you so much for coming on the show today. If others are looking to hear a little bit more about you or connect with you, what's the best way to find you? Uh, so I'm all over LinkedIn. They can get in touch with me on LinkedIn. Um, they can um, go onto my website and uh, connect with me there. It's uh, it's Todd T O D D at Venture uh, D Properties dot com. Uh, so they can go there. Um, otherwise. Yeah, so I've got a podcast. It's called Pillars of Wealth Creation. Uh, it's on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever they're listening to this. Uh, they can find it, YouTube, wherever. Um, so yeah, check check that out as well. I'd love to have people uh, listen to that, of course, after they listen to this one. <laughs> well, awesome. definitely, definitely catch that podcast, Pillars of Wealth Creation. Yep. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Todd, for being on our show. This has been amazing. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you guys having me on and appreciate what you're doing. Thank you. Well, this is the Real Estate Investing Foundation podcast with Jason and Peely. Thank you again to Todd. And thank you again to everyone who's listened today. We are so grateful. Bye now. So fun that flip. You've heard of them before. We had the founder, Matt Rodak, back in the show of episode 139. And some exciting news happening over at Fun That Flip. They now have funding for your two, three, and four family rentals. So if you're looking for fast, reliable, easy to work with funding for all of your real estate needs, and now for two, three, and four family rentals, where can we find them? You can find them at fundthatflip.com backslash the REI foundation. Again, that was fundthatflip.com backslash 
the REI Foundation. Thanks for tuning into the REI Foundation podcast. Check back next time for more awesome tips and strategies to launch your new you in real estate.